Hello and welcome to the August edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave and coming up on this program. I'm John Kay and I'll be speaking to historian Trudy Gold as we look back at the way British Jewry has changed over the last decade. I'm Clive Roslin and I'll be finding out why Jewish comedians Rachel Krieger and Philip Simon have teamed up for a new chat show called Jew Talking to Me. I'm Kate Fulton, and I'll be finding out about the power of music and how it's being used to raise awareness for worthy causes. I'll be speaking to musician and producer Ashira Gorfinkel. And I'm Tony Honigberg, and I will be speaking to Robert Speaker, who is the activities manager at a care home in Edgware, Sibmar Lodge, and he has been producing replica album covers of a variety of artists using both the residents and staff as his models. And our rabbinic thought for the month will come from Rabbi Mark Goldsmith, Senior Rabbi at Edgware and Hendon Reform Synagogue. But before all that, with a roundup of the main Jewish news stories from the past month, I'm Vivian Krieger. The rapper Wiley has had all his accounts on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram permanently deleted after his hate-filled tweets about Jews, which appeared towards the end of July. Most of his posts spread anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracy theories, and he even compared the Jewish community to the Ku Klux Klan. Wiley's initial ban of seven days was widely criticised and led to a 48-hour Twitter boycott by many high-profile celebrities, including the singer Sophie Ellis-Bexter, MP David Lammy, actor Jason Isaacs and Sir Alan Sugar, as well as the chief rabbi Ephraim Mervis. The Home Secretary, Priti Patel, expressed dismay over what she called Wiley's abhorrent posts with their appalling hatred and said she'd asked Twitter and Instagram for a full explanation for their initial slow reaction. The government's independent adviser on anti-Semitism, John Mann, said the tweets demonstrated why the law needs changing to hold social media platforms to account. Wiley has apparently been reported to the Metropolitan Police Service for incitement to racial hatred, which can lead to a prison sentence. Meanwhile, Labour has capitulated over a libel suit, saying the party was profoundly sorry for untrue and defamatory comments made against seven anti-Semitism whistleblowers and the BBC journalist John Ware, following the broadcast of an episode last year of Panorama called Is Labour Anti-Semitic? Labour's apology was read out in the High Court and said it unreservedly withdrew the allegations and also said it was sorry for the distress caused by their publication. The case is believed to have cost Labour as much as £700,000, including 200000 in damages for the eight individuals. The BBC said the Panorama programme was subject to an extraordinary and vitriolic attack by the Labour Party. A trustee of a leading Muslim charity has left after a newspaper discovered anti-Semitic posts he'd written on Facebook. Heshmat Khalifa, who'd been a director of Islamic Relief Worldwide, described Israelis as the grandchildren of pigs and monkeys, labelled the Egyptian leader a pimp son of the Jews, and praised Hamas. According to the Times, Mr Khalifa said his posts were unacceptable and that they'd been expression of frustration rather than the beliefs he held. Spain has adopted the international definition of anti-Semitism. The Federation of Jewish Communities of Spain thanked the government for its decision to agree with the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's definition. Spain has been a member of the alliance for 12 years. 
And finally, musicians and fans around the world have been mourning the death of Peter Green, one of the greatest British blues guitarists. Green was the co-founder of Fleetwood Mac and wrote songs such as Oh Well and Black Magic Woman, as well as the instrumental Albatross, which went to number one in the charts. He left Fleetwood Mac 50 years ago, allegedly with mental health problems, but resurfaced in the 90s to release a further eight albums. He died peacefully in his sleep. He was 73. Viv, thank you very much indeed. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with JW3. British Jews have a long-standing past, but do we sometimes forget to look at our more recent history? Well, a forthcoming event for JW3 explores just that. Historian Trudy Gold will host an overview of British Jewry on Tuesday the 18th of August. It'll explore what the last 10 years have meant for Jewish people in Britain. It's set to challenge if we'll even see the past in quite the same way. Let's find out more. Trudy Gold joins us. Trudy, why the past decade in particular? Well, I just think it's been incredibly interesting. I've been teaching Jewish history for about 40 years around the Hampstead area. And obviously, over the years, I've got to know an awful lot of my students. And I think over the past few years, our attitudes towards England and towards being Jewish have changed dramatically, particularly as hostility towards Israel has grown. Hostility uh, coming from what direction? I think one of the problems that's happened in the past few years, whatever one thinks of the policies of Israel, Jews more and more, if you identify as a Jew in any way, you're more and more identified with Israel. And I think it's become a bit of a problem. And also, I think a society has become more fractured we are polarizing. I think Jews are either walking away altogether, becoming ultra-Orthodox, and it's the group in the middle that I've usually taught. You know, those who have a cultural affiliation to being Jewish, some of them are religious, they're the ones who I think are floundering most. So you think that their adherence to what goes on in the state of Israel, their interest is less now than it would have been, say, 10 years ago. No, I don't think it's that. It's not that it's less now. I think it's polarising. I think the kind of appalling press that Israel gets has affected what I call marginal Jews. And I think one of the problems we face is the lack of Jewish education. I think, And I'm talking now about Jewish education on history. So few people actually know their own Jewish history. They might be incredibly well-educated, but they don't know their own history. And we've got to face it, I think the rise of anti-Semitism is marking Jewish identity because one of the problems is it's not just how you identify yourself, it's how the outside world identifies you. And I think the past 10 years, we've moved incredibly fast, we're becoming more and more fractured and we're becoming more and more polarised as a society and the Jews are part of that. But in terms of Jewish knowledge, you're saying actually we don't know an awful lot about our particular history ourselves. Yep. One would think that with more Jewish schools than ever before, that the generation coming through that and now in their 20s would actually be better educated about their Jewish life. You've got to, when I say Jewishly, I'm not talking about Judaism, I'm not talking about the festivals, I'm talking about Jewish 
history. Not many Jewish schools teach it properly, you know. I'm sure I'm going to get lambasted for this. But one of, my, one of the reasons at my age I've really gone back to being active is I'm discovering that many of our kids going up to university know absolutely nothing about their own backgrounds, even though they're bright, they're well-educated. It all started with grandparents having a moan at me and then parents having a moan at me. And I've really, in a big way, started teaching that age group. And I've, I've had meetings with, with kids who actually run Jewish societies at universities. They don't know much about their own history. Look, education is never the only answer. But if you have an education, if you know where you come from, you know, there is that hope that one day you'll know where you're going and at least you can counter some of the arguments. It's not true that just because there are a lot of Jewish schools, kids know their own history. They don't. So clearly there is a failing, not only in Jewish schools, but perhaps elsewhere. It might be also not as many people go to a cheder or a religion school because they're going to Jewish schools. So there isn't that opportunity to learn. They're not involved, perhaps, with, with, with clubs, perhaps, in, in the way that they used to be. So is there a way of capturing a certain generation and saying, look, you know, we need to do something about this? And obviously, the earlier or the younger, the better. Well, I've been speaking to quite a few organisations. I'm actually making a series of films on the history of anti-Semitism, the Arab-Israeli conflict, just in five-minute bites, because we felt that it was necessary that it would at least help kids when they go up to university. But this is... I, I don't think we're united. I think everyone thinks they do it beautifully. Nobody cooperates. You know, it's it, ironically, the outside perception of the Jewish community is one thing, but I think when you actually work in it, you get a different perception. We all these, every organisation is jealous of what they have. Nobody's cooperating enough on what I think is an extraordinarily important issue. Do we need to be united, though? Maybe some would say, you know, it's democracy. People have different views about different aspects of you life. Can, oh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about united in actually preparing proper materials for our kids so that when they get up to university, they're not they're not floundering. And most of them are, trust me. I don't for a minute believe, no, of course I don't believe in Jewish organisations uniting. I'm just saying we, we have a common purpose. There are certain common purposes that's important that we all fight for. Rather than fight each other, we should decide on how we kind of come together in certain ways. That's all I'm suggesting. You mentioned polarisation. Mm. And in, in the last few months, we've seen the possibility of what is described by some as an annexation of parts of the West Bank by the Israeli government. And yep. we've seen British Jews very much polarised down the middle on this, yep. which perhaps might not have happened many years ago. Well, I think it's very, very complicated. You know, the major critics of the Balfour Declaration were the Anglo-Jewish establishment, never <laughs> Never forget that. that there was an extraordinary letter written to the Times in May two thousand, in May nineteen seventeen, where basically they said we are citizens of the countries in which we live, and I think the problem. Look, Israel. Israel's complicated the issue for Jews. It saved us in some ways, and it's complicated the issues. Why on earth should we have to approve of every policy of the state of Israel? We don't approve of every policy of the British government. So I think if we are, what, what I do believe, I believe passionately in Israel's right to exist. Any other views, 
any other view any other Jew wants to have. I have my own and they're entitled to them, provided, of course, that they're <laughs> within the bounds of what I would consider decent behavior. But I don't see why I should rise and fall by the views of the Israeli government, the current Israeli government. And it, of course, it's polarizing Anglo Jewry. We're just as fractured on Israel as we are on British politics. So in terms of the next 10 years, yeah. how do you see that developing, particularly for us as British Jews? Oh, that's a lovely question. You know, there's a wonderful quote, since the fall of the Second Temple, only a fool would be a prophet. What I think is fascinating, look, to start with, as a historian, I can give you certain facts that are coming together. You've got social, political and economic crisis. You're going to have three or four million unemployed. You have a pandemic. That is going to lead to the polarization of politics. That's inevitable, isn't it? Now, how that affects the Jewish community is going to be fascinating. Is it going to exacerbate the rise of anti-Semitism? question mark. Is it going to fracture all the minorities that live in this country, we, particularly if, Brexit, if we have a hard Brexit? So it's interesting. As a community that sees itself as an individual community living within British society, but wants to be part of British society, we will face the problems that all British citizens are going to face. But we also are going to face a particularly unique Jewish problem. You know, that, that survey in Ox at Oxford where 20% of the people polled thought the Jews were behind COVID. You see, that's the problem. The whole myth of, of the protocols of the elders of Zion has not faded. So I think we, we're, we're going to face terrible problems as British citizens, but along with all the other British citizens, and we, we might have to face particular problems as Jews. But there's a great line on this. You know what the great Isaiah Berlin once said? He said, on the subject of anti-Semitism, before the war we were sleepwalkers and now we're insomniacs. I don't want to over-egg it. It might be within what a very cynical historian once called a reasonable level. <laughs> the event is called An Overview of British Jury. It's at yep. two o'clock on Tuesday, the 18th of August, and it's a Zoom seminar for JW3. Trudy Gold, thank you very much indeed for telling us about it, and thank you for joining us on this month's edition of The Jewish Views. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with JW3. It's fair to say that our community is known for, among many things, our sense of humor. When you think of Jewish comedians, perhaps the likes of Joan Rivers, Jackie Mason, or Jerry Seinfeld spring to mind. Well, from now on, there's a reason to add our next guest to that list, Rachel Krieger, and Philip Simon have individually been on the Jewish comedy circuit for a while, but they've decided to team up together to create a new chat show called Jew Talking to Me? See what they did there? Arguably, it's a little bit like a kosher version of This Morning, so let's find out more about it from the stars of the show. Can I begin by asking you then, how did you two meet? Well, I used to run a comedy club and Philip came as one of the acts and that is how we first met and then we've ended up gigging together and working together. I went on to run another club that's been going for nearly 10 years upstairs at the Adam and Eve and Philip's a regular face at that club and over the years we became friends and then we started working together as kind of 
work buddies on our own projects separately and together. And eventually this evolved out of that. So where did the idea for this new show come from? We met regularly before lockdown. We were kind of on long length comedically. And then when we found ourselves very much isolated during lockdown and we were between us trying to think of different ideas that we could do individually or together, one of the concepts that Rachel, I think, came up with first was the this chap show comedy panel show type idea which has evolved into Jew Talking to Me. And it was it's kind of born out of this necessity for us as comedians to keep working, to not be beaten by the fact we can't work and gig to a live audience anymore. And we wanted to have our voice, have our comedy put out there and have the chance to chat to some of our friends along the way who have been our guests and also to meet some lovely other Jews who have been our guests. We were also thinking how people are really fascinated with Jews and our culture and our comedy. And it was a nice opportunity to showcase that with people from across the arts and the media industry. So we have comedians on the show, but also journalists and uh, other kinds of broadcasters and presenters. We've had actors and writers. And it, it shows the diversity of what we contribute really to entertainment. Well, that makes great sense. But just in case someone hasn't seen it yet, can you tell us a bit about the way the show works? The way we put the show together is using a an online streaming platform. We have four people on screen, two of whom are us and two of whom are the guests. And we ask them questions about their Jewish lives growing up and their lives more recently, what's important to them, what their comedy memories are. We talk to them about the foods they love, any family feuds that might have cropped up during their lifetime they want to share with us as well. They might share one of their favorite Jewish jokes. And we, we try and keep it as much of a natural flowing conversation. We sort of described it as how would it look if Mrs. Maisel found herself on the couch with Graham Norton? <laughs> and we also describe, and we also describe to the audience and Every show, really, we open by telling them it will have the feeling of being assigned a seat on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. So you find yourself there with a group of people, maybe you don't know them very well, or you might know one person well, and by the end of it, you're all friends and you know everybody's life story. <laughs> because they're really, because they're just traits of our family lives, and we all have different stories to tell, even though we come from very much the same tribe. Rachel and I come from very different ends of that spectrum. So another way we describe that is that we sit very different ends of the Shabbat table. So Rachel's orthodox and I'm reformed, but actually quite secular in the way I live my life. And even though we have such a massive gap between a lot of our practices, there's so much common language and so much common ground that it's become a really nice conversation. And all the guests that feed into that it's very relatable. That's a lot of the feedback we've been getting is how relatable the stories are. I can't wait to see you doing it now. At the moment, you're doing it, obviously, as you've just explained, under lockdown conditions. Do you have any plans to do the show in person one day? Yes, definitely. That's our long-term plan. We'll be to have live shows where we'll record in front of an audience and we'll ask our usual questions. Maybe other people will be able to ask questions and that will be really exciting. 
but also because we're doing it online. It means it's accessible to people all over the world. It's free for people to watch. And it means that the community of viewers and listeners can be anyone, anywhere, which is really exciting. So we don't really ever want to lose that personal feel about it, that you could, it's like we're all sitting in the living room together having a chat. So even when we do live performances, it will still be a podcast and it will still be something that people can listen to wherever they are. It sounds absolutely brilliant, and I can't wait to see it. What will you do when you are able to have an audience with you, as it were? Well, I think the first thing I will do is hug every single one of them. Um, <laughs> it, it's just so nice to think that we could soon be in a place where we could be doing that. The, the main thing I think we want to do with the show is keep it, it with this very personable format to have the guests live on stage, have the audience, hopefully a mixed audience as well, not just a Jewish audience. There's, there's no reason this couldn't be opened up to a more mainstream, wider audience as well. We'd like them to be able to be involved. Maybe they can ask their own questions. Some of them, I'm sure, could tell their own anecdotes as well. I think we see the show touring around a lot of the Jewish communities, maybe some of the larger Jewish community centres around the world, potentially, because, uh, as Rach said, the reach that this show has had. I mean, we've been listened to in Colombia. We've been listened to in Sweden and Australia and New Zealand. So I, I think there's no limits to where we hope we might be able to take this. We just had a big shout-out from a non-Jewish Finnish friend of mine who absolutely loves the show. He's a big fan of the show. And it's just incredible how it's being passed on from place to place, but I guess that's also the journey of the Jews being passed on from place to place. Now, can you tell ignorant people like me, how often do you record it and where can people watch or listen to it? We record as and when we can pin our guests down, because although people are slightly freer at the moment because of lockdown, we still need to coordinate timings around childcare and everything else. So at the moment, we've recorded, I think, 10 or 11 episodes that are good to go. We've got two or three more in the diary already to record in the next week or so. We have put out three episodes already, which are available on our Facebook page, which is at Jew Talking without the G. It's also available on YouTube. And if you did a search on YouTube for Jew Talking to Me, so those are the two places you can watch it, Facebook and YouTube. And if you wanted to listen to it as a podcast, then it's wherever you would normally get your podcast, whether that's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast. It's on those platforms wherever you would normally find them. We've got a website which is www.jewtalkingtome.com and if you go to the episodes page on there, there are links to where you can find all of our episodes and also from this week there's going to be a little hint to upcoming episodes as well. That's brilliant. Well, you're, you've got someone here now, that's me, who can't wait to see you doing it, as it were. And I wish you all the very best of luck with it. And I'm sure it'll, in time you'll be big stars with it. You should be. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. And if anybody wants to follow us on social media, it, everything is at you talking without the G. So hopefully some of your listeners will find us there. And if anyone does want to suggest a guest to be on the show, if you know any fascinating, funny, interesting, famous, high-profile Jews that you want 
us to interview, send them our way. The show is called Jew Talking to Me. For more information, you can go to jewtalkingtome.com. And we've been hearing about it from the stars of the show, Rachel Krieger and Philip Simon. Thank you both very much indeed. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with JW3. Now, scarcely a month goes by where we don't have a chat about music in one way or another. However, this month, we're going to explore the power of music in raising awareness of worthy causes. Our next guest is musician and producer Ashira Gorfinkel. She's been putting her skills to good use by working with her colleagues from Cole Zimra, an a cappella group, who have most recently been putting together some really lovely music videos online during lockdown and showing how families cope during lockdown. They've done so to raise awareness for the everyday causes of the pandemic and highlighting others as well. And I'm going to speak to Ashira now to find out a bit more. Welcome, Ashira. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Lovely to, lovely to have you. So now, j- just sort of starting out, some people may not have heard of, of Cole Zimmer at this side of the water, even if they've seen one of their music videos in the past. Remind us who, who the group are, what they do, and, and what you're doing. So Kol Zimra is a Jewish music group that aims to inspire harmony and faith, and especially in this time, hope through, quite literally, Jewish harmony. So we are aimed at just, you know, especially in this time, making sure that everyone has something kind of to give them hope and to inspire them as we go through this new world in the global pandemic. So I'm part of the group as the producer for the music videos and the assistant manager. And is Cole Zimra a, a band or who, who makes them up? What, who are the people and, and who makes up the group? Right. So Cole Zimra is comprised of a roster of, I think by this point, over 200 people. And we essentially tailor make all of our groups per if we're doing an event or if there's a music video or some sort of project that we're doing. We choose the people that we think are going to be the best fit for that project who, you know, are the most passionate about it and we bring them together. But it's all acapella, absolutely no instruments. Wow. And how long has it been going? You know what? It's, I mean, it's my dad's company. He founded it when I was, I think, before I was even born. It's had many different names over the years, but it's been going on in some form for probably over 20 years. I think most of us heard of it. I'm not quite sure any of us knew that history. So thank you for that. And as far as you're concerned, what's your involvement with the group? So I came on recently. And this is kind of a family business for me. So I joined when I graduated college about six months ago and came on as an assistant manager. And when the global pandemic hit and everything shifted to, you know, finding this online and social distancing format, I signed on as the producer for the two music videos that we've done in quarantine. Right. Well, that's what we really want to talk about. So tell us about these, these music videos. Yeah, so we've done two music videos. The first is for a song originally by Ishai Rebo and Omer Adam. And they did this incredible song really about, you know, kind of bringing people together. So we developed it into this sort of FaceTime format where we wanted to kind of create a love letter to the healthcare providers. 
Um, we had the second video, the more recent one, which is our cover of Lean On Me, where we wanted to just take a moment to uh, have something that says we stand in solidarity with everybody, especially those as a part of you know, those who are African-American, who are Jewish and African-American or otherwise. We wanted to take a moment to say that we stand in solidarity with them, especially with what they're going through right now. Absolutely. The videos, I have to say, I have I have watched, listened to them both, and they are beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Just just going back to the first one, Halev Shalim. We will. I want to want to hear about both of them. Halev Shalim is it's got a sort of story behind it. It does. So Halev Shalim, we actually conceptualized the music video while my dad was in Ohio and I was in California. The musical director was in, I think he was in like Denver, Colorado. So we had people all over the place. And the question was, how do we take something that's usually involving so many people and everyone has to be there at the same time, something so chaotic, and manage to do it from all corners of the United States and even, I think we had one in Israel. And so what it turned into was we reached out to families and friends from all over the globe and we asked them to send us footage of what their lives look like in quarantine because we wanted to have something for everybody in there. So if you were in the UK or if you're in South Africa or Israel or America, something in that video that you could look at and see, oh, okay, so, you know, that's what people in my area are doing right now. That's what people in other areas are doing. And we all, you know, even though we're all physically separated, no one is ever truly yeah. alone. It's beautiful. It has the whole sort of global community idea and the, the, the you know, for Jewish families as well. It was very moving. It, it's very moving. Also, I should say that they're sung in Hebrew, just in case anybody is wondering. You mostly produce and sing in Hebrew. Yeah, it's a mix. But these two were, the first one is entirely Hebrew. The second was Hebrew and English. So Lean On Me and Animami and kind of mashed together. Yes. So, so explain how, how Lean On Me came about. Lean On Me was an interesting one because we had just released Halev Shelley, I think, a few weeks prior. And then this is about the time when the political climate, especially here in America, but all over the world, is kind of rising. And everybody, you know, everybody's very involved in activism right now. And a lot of my friends were saying, what do we do in this time where suddenly you have like the Black Lives Matter movement and there's rising anti-Semitism and mm. of course you've still got the pandemic. So I think someone just had a thought of, okay, well, you know, we're a group, we're supposed to be inspiring people through music. So what better way to do that than to kind of just take different quotes from prominent figures from different eras and put them together with a song that, you know, is fairly recognizable and something mm -hmm. that something that says, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what your religion, race or ethnicity, gender, no matter who you are, we want to be accepting of all and we want you to know that you're not alone. That's, it's, that's a really beautiful message. And I have to say, having watched it, it really does give that feeling. Cole Zimra roughly translates a sort of prayer through music or music of prayer. Are you are you quite religious? Is there a, a religious sort of other than just a truly Jewish flavor mm -hmm. running through? Yeah, so I grew up in a modern Orthodox family and over the years, we have been lucky enough to get to experience, I think, a lot of different sects within Judaism, 
I got to go to Camp Stone growing up, which is modern Orthodox. We got to go to Camp Ramah as a family a few times. And I think we decided somewhere along the way that we didn't want Cole Zimmer to represent just one. We wanted everybody to feel like they could be included. So we try to make sure that we're catering to reform, conservative, orthodox, you know, everybody has something. And that's also why some of our videos will be all male, some will be co-ed, because everybody subscribes to different beliefs. You know, there's no, yeah. there's no one anymore. No, that's absolutely lovely. And you mentioned that you, you grew up with music. You've got quite a creative influence behind you. Do you want to share, share that? <laughs> yeah, so I grew up with my dad, Jordan Gorfinkel, and my mother. And uh, my dad has been involved in music since before I was born. So he would always play songs that he and his group had been working on, and we would kind of dance around to them in the living room of our apartment in Cleveland at the time. And I think that had a huge impact on me growing up because, you know, music became the go-to thing for if you were having a bad day or, you know, just family bonding. It's, to me still, it's very reminiscent of just nostalgia and bringing people together. So I think once I got to college and, you know, everybody's saying you have to decide what you want to do with your life, it was never really a question because, Music has just always been the thing to me that brings people together. Yeah, that's and for many people as well. So what's next? What are we going to be looking out for? <laughs> well, so I am currently, Cole Zimra is working on rebranding and ushering in a new era in the light, in light of, you know, the current circumstances. And besides that, we're hoping to release new music and music videos that continue to inspire people the way that, you know, I was inspired. And I think all of us can relate to being inspired growing up. And for me personally, I think like many people out there right now, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> well, that's fine. And they're all on YouTube? The, yes. The, the, the videos are on YouTube, aren't they? Yes, you can find the videos on our YouTube account at Cole Zimmer Productions and also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with JW3. Now, while most of us will buy a music album for, dare I say it, the music, the album covers and artwork have, for many years now, gained popularity and have become adventurous to the point that some covers are rare and worth a lot of money. Our next guest, Robert Speaker, is the activity manager at a care home in Edgware, Sibmar Lodge. He is the sole Jewish staff member and assists the residents with a variety of their Jewish needs. But Robert has recently been producing replica cover albums of a variety of artists, but using the residents and staff as the subject. Robert, welcome to this month's Jewish Views podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Firstly, how did you come up with this idea of replicating the album covers? It's been one of the many ideas that I've had in the back of my mind for some time. I've been at Sidmar Lodge for five and a half years, and I try and make the activities a bit different. And this was something I thought could work and the residents may like. And lockdown actually gave me the opportunity to have the time to be able to do this. So we went into lockdown quite early on the 12th of March, so over four months ago. 
And because no families were around who sometimes interrupt the activities, it was a case that a lot of time needed to be filled to make sure the residents were happy, occupied, they participated in activities. So I thought, why not use this time wisely and do a little fun activity of replicating these album covers? And I had some very willing participants. Were all the residents and staff enthusiastic, or did you have to persuade them to take part? So the only person who wasn't enthusiastic was actually one of the carers, who was a bit camera shy, but the other three carers who were involved in that photograph, well, they coaxed her into it, and it wouldn't have worked as a three. What's your background? I mean, you obviously enjoy photography. Is that just a hobby, or did you actually do that for a living? No, I do it really as a hobby. I've done videography as a bit of more of a hobby, but really it's always been a hobby just to take photographs and videos. I'm doing it a lot at the moment anyway, just to show the relatives what their family member is getting up to at Sidmar Lodge, especially in lockdown when they can't enter the building. It's good for them to see that the residents are happy and they are taking part. I also understand that you took one of the residents to a concert. I did. That was Sheila. So as one of the activities, I created a bucket list, and that was further to one of our residents when I found out that she hadn't been swimming for 20 years but used to be a very keen swimmer. And when I mentioned it to her, I said, would you like to go swimming again? And she was, yes, of course I would. I'd love to. Her face lit up. And through some careful planning, I had the privilege of taking a 91-year-old at the time swimming for the first time in 20 years. And we went three times in total. And it was just such a joyous thing. I thought, well, are there other activities that the residents used to do and would just love to do one more time? Or is there something that they've always wanted to do but have never had the opportunity? So I took another lady to the theatre in the West End to see... 42nd Street, another of her wishes, and particular resident Sheila, she wanted to go and see a singer called Rag and Bone Man, who might not be as well known, but he is pretty big in the UK, and also Ed Sheeran. So I managed to arrange VIP tickets for Sheila to both concerts. However, Ed Sheeran was going to be a bit far in Ipswich, so we were waiting for a London venue instead. But I was able to take Sheila to see Rag and Bone Man at a festival in Blackheath. And a special surprise, I'd arranged for Sheila to get the opportunity to meet him beforehand and actually present her with the album signed for her, which is actually featured next to the recreation. If you can see them, then you should be able to see uh, to Sheila from Rag and Bone Man. So there was a special link with that album cover, the fact that Sheila was a fan and had met the actual performer. If I ever get old enough, I think I might come and stay there. It sounds more fun (laughs) than the day-to-day job that I'm doing. Oh, you've got many more years to go. Don't worry about I do hope so. Now, you mentioned before that you used four people on a cover, and that was for the album Queen 2, wasn't it? Yes. Was it easy to replicate that one? Because with one person, it's reasonably straightforward, but to get four people to pose together can be a little bit daunting. Was it easy to replicate? Well, they they were the carers, and they were actually more difficult to work with than the residents. 
Would they listen to my directions without having a comment? No, they wouldn't. Were they coming out of their poses all the time? Yes, they were. Was there a lot of laughter, same as the residents? Yes, there was. So we had a lot of fun doing it. The carers, I really wanted to be involved in this because I felt they needed to be represented. They're often forgotten about, especially during this pandemic. They have been forgotten about until pretty late on where they have only just started to get the recognition, but often a lot of the work that they do goes unseen. And it goes with all employees at care homes and other facilities. That's not just the carers, the management, the activities, the cleaners, the kitchen staff, the waiting staff, they all have worked throughout the pandemic. The homes do not close, they're 24 seven. And like all coming into work and working really hard. So the carers really represented, not just the carers in this home, but staff, carers in all other homes, not just in England, but around the world, who really deserve a lot of respect and appreciation for their tireless work. They certainly do. How many album covers did you actually make? And which ones were they? There were 12 in total. Now you're going to ask me to name them and obviously I'm going to forget one of them. There was The Clash, London Calling. There was Elvis Presley, also the name of the album, Elvis Presley, which was a take on London Calling, was a take on the Elvis Presley album. So they're very similar. So I wanted the same resident to be involved in that. Then there was Taylor Swift, Adele, Queen, Bruce Springsteen, Johnny Cash, Michael Jackson, Rag and Bone Man, is that all of them? I hope so. Blink. Blink 182, thank you, and Queen. I did have to mention Blink because Hilda actually used to assist us on one of our radio programmes years and years ago. I am not surprised at that because knowing her, that is exactly her character. She's a wonderful lady. And if you see the photo, you have to understand what kind of lady she is to allow me to take photographs of her. And she was just a wonderful model. And it was, again, so much fun doing it. Have you ever thought of replicating something like the Sgt Pepper album? That was something, actually, because I would have loved every single resident to be involved in this. And there is still hope that they will be involved. Obviously, Sgt Pepper has so many different characters on the front. It would be the ideal one. Now, I would probably have to take six months off work to be able to do that album cover. So if my work are allowing me to have six months off, I would absolutely love to do that album with the residents of Sigma Lodge. Do you plan to do, or do you have any other project in the wings waiting to come on stage? There are many things that are waiting to happen, but I like to have a surprise or two at my sleeve. So with this project, it was very hush-hush. Only I really knew what I was doing. So I will keep it a little secret for now, but there should be a surprise or two round the corner sometime soon. Robert, I understand you're also raising funds for the home. So this project was really just to have a little bit of fun with the residents and then create some smiles with their family members, and also when I sent it out, it was really only supposed to be seen by my family and friends. So through this, it really exploded, and a lot of offers came in that they wanted to give something to the residents. So I set up a GoFundMe page 
for any contributions, which were gratefully received. However, when I spoke to the residents about this, they said they were pretty happy with everything. And we discussed it and said maybe this money could be put to a better use. And we decided on three charities. And now we're raising money for charity for the Alzheimer's Society, for Dementia Friends, and for Age UK. And if anything can come out of this that's even better, just to raise a bit of money, we've had the amazing positive response. And now to know there's this extra little goal that we can actually raise some money for charity out of this, it would just be the icing on the cake. Oh, well, we look forward to hearing about that. Mazatov on your new baby. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for coming on the programme and talking to us about it. And we will look forward to speaking to you again with your next project. I shall look forward to that one Oh, myself. I look forward to it too, and it's been a pleasure. Robert, thank you very, very much. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with JW3. Time now for our rabbinic thought for the month, and this time it comes from Rabbi Mark Goldsmith, Senior Rabbi at Edgware and Hendon Reform Synagogue. I want to talk today about mountains. You know, mountains matter a lot in Torah symbolism. Abraham has to take Isaac up a mountain to offer him to God. It's the mountain on which we'll build the temple. Moses meets God in the shape of a burning bush on a mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and returns there in Jewish symbolism to receive the Torah. Balaam praises the Israelites with the words Martovu, looking over their encampment from the top of a mountain. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which we're now just beginning on the Shabbatot, the Levites will recite the blessings and curses for those who keep and those who fail to keep the covenant from yet another mountain. And Moses' last breaths will be taken on top of Mount Nebo, the summit called Pisgah, as he sees the whole of the land of Israel in front of him. And every one of these mountains has been hard to climb. We have to do it, but it's hard. And then when we get to the top of them, we see a vision of what's in front of us. And it's very tempting, once you can see that, to stay there, proud of what we've achieved by reaching the summit. But in our Torah portion of Arim, Moses reminds the Israelites, as he reviews their journey to the promised land, that God said to them at Sinai, Mount Sinai, you've dwelt enough on that mountain. Come on now, go and get to the next mountain of the Amorites. And that's where we are now as people here in Britain. We've managed to create a normal in our homes where we have found ways to connect with each other through technology. We found ways to get, make sure we get our shopping, whatever we've done. And we're like people who are sitting on the top of a mountain and we could just stay there. But we're going to need to have the courage and also the strongest sense of care and concern for each other to move on from the mountain of achievement of making our society work online effectively to the next mountain of slowly, carefully bringing our communities back together again. We can't stay on one mountain forever. There's going to be a lot of work to climb the next mountain with equal reward when we get to the summit, what we're going to call one day, I suspect, the new normal. May we have the strength to climb together. 
Thank you very much to Rabbi Mark Goldsmith, Senior Rabbi at Edgware and Hendon Reform Synagogue with our Rabbinic Thought for the Month. And that's it for this edition of The Jewish Views. Thank you very much to all of our guests, to historian Trudy Gold, comedians Rachel Krieger and Philip Simon, Ashira Gorfinkel and Robert Speaker. Of course, thank you also goes to our producer, Sue Greenberg, and to you at home for listening. Don't forget to listen to this edition or any previous edition of The Jewish Views. You can always go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Please remember to subscribe to us in your podcast application. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with JW3. From me, Phil Dave, from Tony Honickberg, Kate Fulton, John Kay and Clive Roslin, we hope you will join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.